to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Gospel of Matthew, the very first uh, gospel in the New Testament Scriptures, uh, chapter 5 is where we're going to be sharing together today. And uh, in 1955, President Harry S. Truman was interviewed by journalist Edward Morrow for Edward Morrow's radio show entitled, This I Believe. And in that interview, President Truman said this, I believe in a moral code based on the Ten Commandments found in the 20th chapter of Exodus. And on the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And then he said this, I do not believe there is a problem in this country or even the world today which could not be settled if approached through the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that was 1955. And that was a bold statement by the President of our country. But there is truth in what he said. Not only could the sermon as a whole solve every potential problem, what is often overlooked are the positive qualities of life Jesus promises to those who follow this teaching. If people would adopt the worldview with which he introduced the Sermon on the Mount in the section that we refer to as the Beatitudes. If you ask a group of people today what would make living life really worth the effort, we would get a long list of different things. What what really makes living life worth the effort? Some people would say success. Some people would say significance for my life. Others would say security, just being secure. It would be worth the effort of living and doing all that I do if I was assured of these things. And I'm sure the list is much longer of of other things that people would say would make life worth living. The effort that we put into it. But the truth of the matter is, according to God's Word, all of these things and much more can be ours if we will develop within us the character and the qualities that God desires in His disciples. That's who we are as His followers. And so even Jesus' enemies, listen, listen to this. In John chapter 7 and verse 46, listen to what they said. No man ever spoke like this. We've never quite heard a message this way. Well, this is... Referring to the things that Jesus taught, it goes without saying that the Sermon on the Mount is included in those teachings. And their response was, we've never heard anyone teach quite like this. We've never heard anyone speak quite this way. And so we think about the Sermon on the Mount, I believe probably one of the greatest messages ever delivered by Jesus. It was in the second year of his earthly ministry, he walked up a hill on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee to teach his disciples. I think it's interesting. If we go back to the Old Testament Scripture, Moses ascended the mountain to receive the law of God. In the New Testament Scripture, Jesus ascends the mountain to reveal or, or to teach and explain the law of God. And He gives to us instruction that helps us to know and to understand the truths of God's Word. The 
Beatitudes form the introduction, if you would, to the message that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And so together they stress the theme that, that it is heart righteousness that is far more important to us than than the hand ritual or the obeying of the law. And that's what Jesus was explaining. He was helping them to understand that it's not just about following the law. It's not just about adhering to a list of do's and don'ts or, or acceptable or unacceptable. He was teaching them that, that really in order to have a relationship with Him, it, the heart really was what made the difference. The, the attitude in which we approached life and the events of life and these teachings, those who were listening to Jesus, some of them were just casual observers. They'd heard about Him. They'd heard about His miracles. They wanted to come out and see what was going on. Others were people who, who had Him believed and embraced and committed themselves to follow Jesus. And it's interesting to me that as He teaches, the teaching that He shares touches all of those lives. Those who are just the casual observer. Well, I've heard about some miracles. I've heard about some, some great teachings, some different things. Let's go check it out. Let's go see who, who this Jesus is and, and what's going on. Others, very committed, very faithful, surrendering of their hearts and lives. And yet, this ministry and this teaching, Jesus included all of them as He gave instruction on how to live life. Blessings that come and that we can anticipate now and in the future of eternity if we will adhere and adopt the teachings of Jesus. As we look at these Beatitudes in Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning in the first verse down through, through verse 12, it's bookended. Uh, the list with the first and the last Beatitudes, the blessing that we will receive is that for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's interesting that, that he puts that on both ends. That he begins with theirs is the kingdom of God. He ends with theirs is the kingdom of God. But there are other blessings that fall in between those. And so as we look at these Beatitudes, these other six that fall between those two bookends, he's talking about our attitude and the actions, the rewards that come when we are faithful and obedient. And what he's talking about is not yet fully come. We have to understand that. We talk about these Beatitudes, we get a taste of it here in this life. But he said the full experience of these blessings will come in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. And so we have to recognize that, that certainly some of these things are going to be things that we're going to experience here and now, in the present today, as we live this life. But some of them are things that we will not fully experience. We will not fully know and understand until we are in eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And, and so as we look and we consider, He promised both the present and the future. The kingdom is a present possession. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what He writes. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness. You hear that? Rescued. That's present tense. He rescued us now. We are rescued today. That happens in this moment, in this time, when we make Christ our Lord and Master. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for forgiveness of sins. So he says, He has rescued us now. 
And He has transferred us into His kingdom. And the day is coming that as a part of His kingdom that we will experience the full blessings of His redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That in the kingdom of heaven there is no sin. In the kingdom of heaven, there, there, there is no disobedience to the Father. And he says, because of forgiveness of sins, we have the opportunity in the future to experience that blessing. We have the opportunity in the future to, to know and to understand what that means. I, I think oftentimes as we go through church and through, through VBS and, and Sunday school and, and all of those types of things, that the Beatitudes are, are too often memorized and not often enough internalized and applied to our life. We know them, we hear what they say, but are we living them in our life? And so this morning I want us to look and to see how can we live the Beatitudes? How can we be obedient to that faithful teaching? And how in relationship to that can we receive the blessings, Beatitudes, be happy attitude often has been the term that has been used there. It's it's in relationship to the fact that that these attitudes and these characteristics will bring joy and happiness to our life. Jesus' desire is, is that we would receive the blessings in our lives. And He promises that if we'll be faithful, that every Christian will experience those blessings. It's interesting to me as we look back in the Old Testament Scripture at the Ten Commandments, they will often find that, that part of those commandments are in direct relationship to our relationship with the Father. And then part of those commandments are in direct relationship to others. The Beatitudes are the same way. The first half of the Beatitudes are directed toward our relationship that, that is vertical in relationship to the Heavenly Father. And the other part of the Beatitudes are in relationship to horizontal, our relationship with others in this life. And so as He gives us this instruction... I think it's important for us to understand the historical context to help us better understand the teaching. Judea is filled with many problems. When we look at the the time in history in which Jesus is, is offering this teaching, this land was occupied by an oppressive military government. They were in complete control in which... Basically, the Romans looked at the the Judeans and the others like they were possessions. In fact, at this time, slavery was rampant to the point that for every free man, there were three slaves that that existed at this moment in time. So we see the oppression. we, We see the persecution. We see people being little more than possessions in the hands of the Romans. As we consider the slavery, racial prejudice was prevalent and problematic in that day. Taxes from the Roman government consumed a large portion of their income. It was a very difficult time to be living in Judea. And I think about that, and I think about it in relationship to our lives and the things that we experience and we go through. Knowing and understanding, as Jesus offers this teaching, it wasn't just a time that things were great and things were pleasant. Everybody was doing okay and everything was all right. The economy was good. There weren't a lot of problems or there there weren't a lot of of division or dissension. None of those things existed. It wasn't that kind of time. It was a time that, that people were oppressed. It was a time that people were persecuted. It was a time that what they did earn, much of that was robbed from them in taxes. It was a time that that people struggled in, in order to find hope or any type of future 
in their life. And in the backdrop of that, there were a lot of people, a lot of groups of people, who wanted to offer them some instruction or or some idea of how they should live life. There were the zealots. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were the Jewish groups of leaders of that day. And they had their ideas of how people should live life. They had their ideas of what things could solve the problems that they were facing. Then you add in the foreign gods... And their ideas, the, the, the unbiblical, unscriptural gods, and their ideas of and influences of, of ways to deal with the problems and things that they were facing. And we can see why people could be confused. We can see why people would be discouraged and disheartened. Why they would look around and go, I don't know. I, I don't know what the real answer is of how I live life today. It's tough. I don't know who's right and who's wrong in giving me instruction in what the next step is and the next step is and the next step is in life. Does that sound familiar? Maybe that's where some of us are today. Is that we're struggling. You know, we hear this thing and that thing. We hear this direction and that direction. We hear this will solve your problems or this will meet your needs or this will give you hope. And we hear all of these different influences that are coming in. And and we receive them through all different kinds of ways. We receive them through through television and and commercial messages. We receive them through the computer and and through social media of today. We receive them in in movies, in the theater. We receive all kinds of of different instructions. We we turn on the television and we see all of these uh, these news outlets and, and all of these different opinions about life and how we're to live life and what will make our life better and, and what will make our country better. And, all, and so we have that same noise that's going on in our world today as they were experiencing here. There's all kinds of noise. There's all kinds of things that are coming at us saying, listen, this will make things better. That will make things better. You'll experience this and, and it will be more fulfilling and it will bring you more hope and all of those types of things. And as we look at those things today and we recognize that they were having struggles We're having struggles, and so where do we find the answers? And Jesus goes up on the mountain, and He sits down, and He begins to teach. And the teaching that He gives is in this backdrop. And if we back up to chapter 4, listen to what it says, and this is where all of this comes from. In verse 17, Matthew chapter 4, He says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything that Jesus teaches is based off repentance. Everything that Jesus instructs in what we consider the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is based off the fact that from this moment forward, it says, Jesus began to teach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that repentance mean? That repentance means for us to change. And it's not just a casual change. It's not just, well, let me make a few adjustments here and there in my life and everything will be all right. Jesus calls us to a radical change. He calls us to a radical repentance. He calls us to to a radical about face, turning and moving in a new direction. And we have to, to know and to understand that as He gives us this teaching, He calls us to repent. And He calls us to radically change who we are and whose we are and how we live life. And so it is in that backdrop that I want us to look at the Beatitudes today. We, we must be willing to change. 
because God is telling us that in that change there is a better life and there's a better way. A couple years ago, Zach Williams wrote a song and released a song entitled Chain Breaker. I want you to listen to the Word for just a moment. It's not Scripture, but it's really some good instruction for life. He said, if you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice telling the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, He's a pain taker. If you feel lost, He's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison-shaking Savior. If you've got chains, He's the chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day and the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just aren't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. Zach Williams went through a lot of things in his life. He was raised up a preacher's son. He rebelled and uh, took his path of drugs and alcohol and different things. But then in, in that search and in that quest and, and in those experiences of life, he came back to the Lord. And he wrote this song about the idea that there is a better life, that there is a better way. If we're willing to change, God can release us from all of those things. And Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount is giving that instruction. Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is helping us to understand that there is a better life, that there is a better way that we can live life to its fullest. I came that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. I came that you might have life and it might be more full and more, more content and more hopeful for you that there might be joy, happiness, and peace. And so there are three things I want us to see real quickly today in regards to these Beatitudes and in the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount. The first is this, the people presented. Notice what he said. There are not eight different groups of people here. As we read these Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those... Those aren't eight different categories. He's talking about eight different areas of our own life, of every individual's life. These are, are different characteristics or different characters or qualities that we all should possess, that all should be a part of our life. This is not some elite group. This is every believer. This is not just all people that are this way or people that are that way. He said, this applies to every person. Remember who he's teaching to. Remember that there are people here that are devoted, faithful. They've committed their lives to Jesus. There are other people here they are just bystanders. They're just observers trying to figure out what's going on and listening. And so this message is applicable for everyone. And the idea that he's teaching us is these are qualities that every believer should possess. That every believer should have these qualities and they should desire for these qualities to be present in their life. And then he says, and with these qualities, there come certain blessings. With these qualities, there come certain things in our life that we should expect and be able to experience. 
So let's look at that real quickly this morning. If you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, hopefully uh, you've already found your place there. And, and I want to turn over and just read through uh, that passage of Scripture as we continue, as he talks about this group of people and, and the fact that, that everyone should seek and desire these characteristics and these qualities. And when he had saw the multitude, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or some translations say the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to the whole house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. As Jesus shares these words, as He shares these teachings, He's talking about individuals. And He's talking about those individuals possessing these qualities, these characteristics, desiring to develop them. Remember what we said, the first portion of those are in relationship to our relationship to Him. So the qualities that He offered. Let's look at those for just a moment. The poor in spirit. We don't have time to, to develop these fully, but just grasp an understanding of the basics of each one. The poor in spirit, he's talking about those who we, we shared a few weeks ago about being humble and willing to admit that without Him we are nothing. That without Him we can do nothing. That we can achieve nothing in life. Realizing that we are totally dependent upon Him. Poor in spirit. I don't have any wealth in my spirit to offer. Everything that I have to offer is totally dependent upon Him. And so he says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you, do you see what he's saying? When we can recognize and realize that we cannot save ourselves, when we can recognize and realize in a, in a humble spirit that we are totally dependent upon Him, is the moment in which we begin the process to receive salvation. The moment that we begin to receive the process of salvation that will give to us the kingdom of heaven. He reveals that for us. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, when we, we hear that word mourn, we almost automatically allow our minds to go to the idea of those who lose loved ones. The mourning that happens when someone dies. And, and we recognize that there are 
other times of mourning in life. But I believe even beyond that, that this mourning is not in relationship to the loss of life. It's not in relationship to loss of job or divorce or, or, or something of that nature. I believe this morning is talking about those who mourn because of the sin in their life. Mourning and sorrowful for the sin that has occurred in who I am. Mourning because of the things that I've done. Mourning because of the pain that I've caused the Father. Notice what he says as he begins to develop this idea. Remember, it's about a relationship with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the king. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice what he says. He says, if you are mourning because of the sin in your life, If you're mourning because of of your failures or your shortcomings in life, he said there's comfort for you. And the comfort comes in the form of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. I talk a lot about grace and mercy. I think it's so important that we understand it. Grace is when we receive what we do not deserve. When God offers grace to us, He gives us something that we do not deserve in life. Mercy is when He does not give to us what we do deserve. And so He says, if you are mourning over the sin in your life, He said, you'll be comforted. And the comfort comes in the form of grace and mercy. It comes in the form of God's forgiveness. I'm comforted to know that I do not have to pay the penalty and the price that comes from sin, and that is the punishment of hell. And so He says, we'll be comforted. Gentle or meek, it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. And he says, blessed are those who are gentle or weak, those who who submit or surrender to the will of God and the direction of God for their life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Again, that's a desire, that hunger and thirst, that relationship with Him. It's a desire to live right, to do what He has instructed and called us to do according to His Word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, he turns his attention toward Toward our relationship with others, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. He's talking about the idea of not giving to people that which they deserve. We do that in life, don't we? We are revengeful. Uh, we, we, we want to get people back for the things they've done to us. But he says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Scripture tells us that if we do not forgive others, he can't forgive us. That's mercy. That we don't give them what they deserve. Instead, we're forgiving. We're understanding. And he says, then, then forgiveness will come our way. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, a purity toward others. That, that we don't look at others in an improper or immoral way. But we have a, a pure heart toward them. We don't look at them as someone to be taken advantage of or, or someone to be mistreated for our own personal gain. He says, but blessed are, blessed are peacemakers. But those who desire to live at peace. You know people. I believe all of us know people who are just contentious people. That everywhere they turn, there just seems to always be some type of a turmoil, some type of a conflict, some type of a problem that's going on in their life. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who desire to live at peace and help others to be at peace and and that are not constantly at conflict with one another. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those when people speak ill against you because of me, he says. He says rejoice in that because those that have gone before you that have been my followers have faced the same thing. It's not anything new. 
So the blessings that He promises. The first blessing is this, blessed. Blessed means happy or hopeful or fulfilled or satisfied in life. And then He gives these instructions, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that we will receive comfort, that we will receive an inheritance, that there will be satisfaction, that we'll receive mercy, that we will be called the sons of God. He says, listen, if you want to know how to live life in the midst of the turmoil that's going on around you, if you want to know the instructions that you need to follow in order to have happiness, joy, contentment, peace in your life, hope in your life, he says, then follow these instructions. You allow these characteristics to be real in your life. You strive to have these characteristics and these character qualities. You strive to develop them in your life, to follow them according to God's Word. And he said there will be blessings in this life and there will be blessings in eternity. C.S. Lewis said, If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for this world were those who thought the most of the next. Think about that for a moment. Those who did the most for this world are those who thought the most about the next. Their focus was on eternity. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. When our thoughts are not about the kingdom of heaven, when our thoughts are not about eternity in the presence of God, when our thoughts are not about the blessings that He promises for the future of eternity, He says, then, then we become less effective in this life. But when our thoughts are geared toward the kingdom of heaven, when our thoughts are geared toward eternity in the presence of God, He says, then we become more effective, more impactful in this life and, and in the lives of those that are around us. And so this morning, my encouragement to you as we prepare for invitation is simply this that we look at the Beatitudes of God's Word, we look at the instruction that He gives us about character qualities, about traits that we should have in our hearts and our lives, and that our desire is to have those characteristics, to have those qualities, to live that way, so that we experience God's blessings now and in eternity, that our focus begins to, to be focused on the kingdom of heaven more than it is about this earth. Our focus is about eternity more than it is about the here and the now. And he says when that happens, we become more impactful, we become more useful, we become more of a light that's shining in the darkness. We become more of a salt that gives flavor to life. We become more impactful in how we live day by day, he says, at the end of those Beatitudes will let our light shine so that men will see what? Our good works. He said, it's okay for people to see your good works. You don't have to hide those. You don't have to be embarrassed about them or ashamed of them. But he says, here's the thing. He wants those good works to point people to the Father, not to us. Oh, look what a great person he is. Oh, look how wonderful she is. Oh, look how spiritual they are. That's not what he wants. He wants our good works to glorify the Father so that people's eyes are turned toward him, not toward us. And that happens when we live according to God's instruction, according to Jesus' teachings in the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And so this morning, we're going to invite you to make a decision in your life. If there's a decision that you need to make, a change that you need to make, a difference in your life, this invitation is for you. Won't you come as we stand and we sing?